Thanks, Carol. All right, this morning, last week in January, we are wrapping up the series we've been looking at, which is uh, looking at who we are as the church. And we've done that over the last three weeks, and this will be the fourth week in that series. And it's been really good to look at some of the scripture in the New Testament, particularly about the nature and the purpose of us, the, the, the believers, the church. And um, if you remember, if you haven't been with us for the last three weeks, Kev kicked that off for us with that picture that the church is actually at the centre of everything. The church is at the centre because the church is Jesus represented in the world and Jesus is at the centre of everything. And so we had this great picture that, that the church is not peripheral to what goes on in the world. The church is actually at the centre of the world. And Jesus at work is at the centre of all things. And then we looked at an expression of that, how we can be the light of the world or the salt of the earth. These two things that attract people to God and highlight and point out and add flavour and texture and taste to, to the essence of what it means to be in relationship with God. And last week we looked at the image of the body of Christ, what it means to be part of a body where all parts are actually in together for the one purpose, so that the whole is healthy and growing and full of love. And so this week I want to look at uh, one more aspect of who we are as the church. Now when I looked through uh, a range of things in the New Testament to get an understanding of how the church is described in, in the New Testament. So whenever there's reference to the body of believers, the collective group of Christians together, there's dozens of different names giving, given to that. And so there are some like, we are the spiritual house, we are the temple of God, we are a holy nation. And this morning I want to look at the, the phrase that's used, that we are a family of believers. A family of believers. And with that family context, some other names that are given to the collective group of, of believers in the New Testament are things like the people of God, Abraham's offspring, children of God, the family of God, God's household, and it goes on. So we, we've got this picture of family. It's a really strong picture throughout Scripture. And with any family, particularly when we look in a biblical context, go, going right back to the, the birth of the nation of Israel... And you just got to read some of the genealogies that, that there's always a link to who the father was. And a family is related to who the father is. And as the family of believers, there are close links to God the Father. That we become like God and the, and the person of Jesus Christ in character and nature because we are part of that family. And that's the picture that we see over and over. But I got to say right at the beginning that I know that when we talk about family, this can have pretty intense feelings for some of us, either at a negative context or a positive context, because of our earthly experience with family. And I, I need to just be sensitive to that, because although that is true for us in this life, the picture that we see in Scripture is that God as a perfect father calls us into a perfect love as part of his family. Now, we get that wrong at times, but God doesn't, and it's good to hang on to that. So I thought, well, how do we get a good picture of our understanding of family? Can't go past pop culture, can we? 
How many movies, how many TV shows are based around the family unit? And when I started to think about it, yeah, Simpsons is one. Probably one we don't want to emulate. But there's actually there's a few that I'll name just to get a picture of the sort of families that we've probably been exposed to as, we, as we've um, gone through the last few decades. So when, when we think about some of these, what images come to mind when we think of happy days? Okay, happy days. What about different strokes? What are you talking about? Willis. Willis? Willis. Home improvement. There were some shenanigans that went on in home improvement, wasn't there? Hey, that was pretty good. Everybody loves Raymond. The Brady Bunch. Full House and now Fuller House for the new generation, apparently. Um, Dallas or Dynasty. I wasn't allowed to watch those, but apparently there was families involved. Little House on the Prairie, if you're a little bit older. Oh, there's some tears for that. Okay, didn't think that, okay. The Cosby Show, yeah. And then we've got ones that actually in the name, so we've got All in the Family, if you remember that one, The Adams Family, Family Ties, Modern Family, and we sort of are drawn to these shows and to these movies because there's something in them that either we can relate to or that we can look at and want to avoid or maybe we can try to aspire to. And so when I was looking at some of these, I came across an article. Uh, It's from uh, the New York Vulture magazine. And the title of the article is, Where Does the Family TV Show Go From Here? And just listen to some of these words. The the writer says this, These shows, talking about family-based either sitcoms or, or dramas, these shows remain relevant because... As they always have, they serve as a mirror, a depiction of how mums, dads, brothers and sisters actually deal with each other behind closed doors. And they serve us like the North Star, a guide on how those relationships could work in an ideal world. More than perhaps any other type of television, family shows are held up as a reflection of our societal values. They tell us who we are, they tell us who we wish we could be. I thought that's an interesting statement. They are a reflection of societal values and they tell us who we are and who we wish we could be. So my obvious question then is, so where do we get a description or where are we having a mirror held up to us as to how the church should be? Where's that coming from? It's not on TV shows. Where do we get an understanding of how we should relate to one another as church family? Where does that information come from? Are we relating to one another based on societal values or on biblical values? Are those even different? If they are different, how do we know? Who or what is telling us who we are and how we should be? Are we even asking these questions? Is the church a family that you believe you belong to and you're part of and you're committed to? Or is church this event that happens on Sunday mornings in a building and you can choose whether you go to it or not, depending on how you feel when you wake up Sunday morning? So I'm obviously talking to the converted here because you're all here this morning. But where do we get this stuff from? Do we even think about it? Because according to the New Testament teaching and scriptures, the church is designed to function as a family. 
It's not an optional in and out thing that we can choose to be part of. We're either part of the family or we're not. And so with the picture of God as father and us as his children and us with each other as siblings, here are some of the pictures that are fairly poignant in Scripture. Let me point some of them out. That the family of believers sought, and now I'm talking about how it's depicted in Scripture in the New Testament, they sought to imitate God, to be like Jesus. It's something the family did. They understand who their father was and that they wanted to grow into the character and nature of their father. So Paul says to the Ephesians, be imitators of God. Live a life of love just like Jesus. Paul says to the Romans, don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the way you think, and then you will know God's will. John writes in his first letter that we must walk or or live as Jesus did. We must imitate Jesus. The believers in the New Testament sought to become mature in their relationship with Jesus. And there's this picture in Hebrews where the writer of Hebrews encourages them to leave these elementary teachings about Jesus and actually move on and shift into maturity. Yes, you've got the basics right, but there's more to it. You've got to grow. You've got to develop. And it's this picture of a child growing up. The believers in the New Testament sought to stand against evil and sin. It was important that those things weren't allowed to infiltrate the body of believers. And so Paul encourages the Ephesian church to put on the armour of God. Paul encouraged Timothy to watch his life very closely as his life will affect the life of others. Peter warns the church that the devil is actually prowling around looking to attack, but we are to stand firm with the Lord's strength so that doesn't happen. John warns us to be discerning, understanding that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate truth and that there are false spirits and false teachers around who attempt to deceive us. We've got to stand against evil and lies and sin. The early church sought to teach sound doctrine. They had to understand who God is, who the person of Jesus is and what he's done and teach that. And Paul instructs Titus to make sure that he teaches the church he's involved in in aligning himself with sound doctrine. The early church sought to imitate other mature believers. I always wrestle with this one, but Paul would say to the Corinthian church and the Galatian church, live like I live, copy me, because I'm following Jesus. If you want a picture of what it looks like, follow me, follow my example. How many of us are in a relationship where we have someone else in our family of believers that we can look to and say, I'll let them mentor me, I'll let them guide me, I'll let them speak into my life because I realise that I want to live more and more like Jesus. And here's somebody who's further down the track than me, someone I can learn from. It's a great picture. The writer of Hebrews, in this idea of following mature believers, commends the church to remember their leaders and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. It's so important to have mature believers in our family so that as we're growing and as, the, as new people are coming into the family, they've got someone to look to, just like a younger brother might look up to an older brother on how to do something. Now, the early church sought to support each other in love. 
Paul says to the Romans church, Roman church that they are to build one another up and accept one another. Paul encouraged the Galatian church not to pursue personal desires but to serve one another in love. And as you can see on the screen, he says to the Galatian church at the end of uh, verse 10, chapter 6, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. The writer of Hebrews calls us to love, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Peter reminds the church to love each other deeply because it covers a multitude of sins. John reminds the church that Jesus' message was really clear. We are to love one another. You know, the early church family that's recorded in the scriptures had a real intent desire to live in harmony with one another. Paul says to the Roman church, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. He said to the Corinthian church, be of one mind, agree and live in peace. Now, it doesn't mean we have to agree on everything, but there is a way to resolve differences. There is a proper way that shows respect and love when we have a disagreement with one another. The writer of Hebrews calls those people to keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. A whole range of things keep happening. Paul says to the Ephesians, be humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And another thing the early church did that we see in scriptures is they sought to live in a community with one another in such a way that it would be attractive to all other people. I think that's the key. That a family of believers operates in such a way that people who are not part of that family can look at and say, I want what they've got. I want to be part of that. And I've said this many times up here. There's something awesome about a group of people in community who genuinely love each other and genuinely forgive and genuinely don't hold grudges and genuinely show kindness and genuinely encourage one another and lift one another up. And anyone, I can't think of any person I've met in my life who would not want to be part of a community like that. And that's what we're called as the church. That's what we're called to be. So when I look at the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the writings of Paul, Peter and John, particularly in the New Testament, they're filled with instruction on how we are to have relationship with one another. Whether we like it or not, it's about being obedient to the Word of God. Remembering that most of our New Testament writings are actually written to communities of faith believers. They're not written to individuals. The, the Christian life is not designed to be done on your own. It's done in community. And so when Jesus says these words to his disciples, right at the end of his last discourse, when he's about to have the last supper, and he says this, and you, you'd be familiar with this, a new command I give you, love one another. He's saying this to his disciples. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So we're in a world where, where God is, well, in our culture, Australia, God is getting pushed out. He's getting pushed out of the schools, he's getting pushed out of parliament, he's getting pushed out of, of just 
everywhere where he used to be present a few generations ago. And it's up to us, the church, the body of Christ, the people of God, the family of believers, it's up to us to represent God in our spheres of influence so that people will come to know what God's like. That he's a good God, he's a loving God, he's a generous God, he is for you, not against you. People see that when we treat them that way. And so we're called to be this family of believers who live so intentionally in community with one another that God becomes visible. The very character and nature of God becomes visible to people. And so as we've explored over this whole year, you can see our banner on either side that our theme throughout 2018 has been that when we sow seeds, God will do something with that and we will see a harvest beyond our wildest dreams. This is the last week where we're addressing that because next week Kev's launching our new theme for 2019. And with that in mind, that we've looked at that for 12 months of what it means to place ourselves and to sow seeds and to be intentional and to allow God to move through our actions and our words and our interactions and our responses, to allow God to move through all that so that seeds are being sown into the lives of people who don't know Jesus yet so that there will become a harvest, one that we won't even expect because God's going to be at work in such a way through the lives of you and I, and not just Coast Community, but through the church across the nation, across the world. We've been looking at this. I want to finish with a passage of Scripture from Galatians chapter 6. I just want you to keep in mind that idea of the harvest, that idea of what it means to live in community with one another, and it actually finishes with the verse that I mentioned just earlier. So can you just listen to, listen to these words about what it means to be a family of believers? Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, Paul writes, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share one another's burdens. And in this way, the law of, you will obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Now don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of believers. I don't know what's going on right now in your thinking, 
But the more I've read about this, the more I've looked into it, the more I've prayed about it, I'm convinced more and more and more that we need one another. We have to be in community with one another. And the way we do community is so important. And it's really important, not for our sake, but for the sake of those who don't know Jesus yet. Because when we get it right, as Scripture guides us, as Scripture advises us, when we live the way God intends for us to live in community as a family of believers, God becomes known to others. It's a great picture. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I want to thank you for your example of what it means to have relationship with the Father, that you walked and talked and modelled that for us, that we have your account of how you live life through the Gospels, that you could take a person like Saul from Tarsus and you can arrest him and you can change him in such a way that he becomes Paul and he writes Letters to a group of churches, to a group of believers that we can hold on to today and learn from. That we can look at what it means to be a community of people. How we are to love one another. How we are to handle the ups and downs of being together in life. But do it in such a way that you are honoured and you are glorified and you are lifted up. So God, I pray that becomes our reality more and more as Coast Community Church, as the Christian church in Australia and in the world, that we would be a people who live in love with one another so that you would become known. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is the one who works in us to shape us to be more and more like your son Jesus. I thank you that you gift us with the Holy Spirit that your desire for us is to be conformed into the image of your Son. And I thank you that we do that in community where we can encourage one another, bear each other's burdens, lift one another up, affirm one another, and actually just have that focus of one another, not ourselves. So God, would you be at work in that space, in each of us, in our own families, in our church family? Would you have your way? Amen.